0: Sparrow, a second-generation Pilates teacher, owner and director of Chapel Allerton Pilates and founder of Whole Body
1: Pelvic Health. I'm Sophie Rugg, a long-standing client of Claire's and user researcher by day. Welcome to Reimagining You the Pilates Way. Claire Sparrow has founded a new approach to restoring pelvic health and provides courses that allow people to take charge of their pelvic health at home in their own time and join a community of like-minded women worldwide who receive her ongoing support, guidance and tutoring. For this special episode to celebrate women everywhere on International Women's Day, we want to talk about this subject that is so often swept under the carpet and all too readily accepted as normal. We need to talk about pelvic health.
0: loyal listener of reimagining you the Pilates way, I'm offering an exclusive discount of 10% off stage one pre-Pilates for whole body pelvic health. Use the code podcast over at wholebodypelvichealth.co.uk for that discount. That's use the code podcast at wholebodypelvichealth.co.uk.
1: Happy International Women's Day, Claire. Really excited for today's episode to find out more about this subject, which I know has been a bit of a personal crusade for you. <laughs> it really
0: is. Any excuse for me to celebrate women and raise awareness of the topic that is so close to my heart. Yeah, it's really, truly not spoken about enough
1: at all. So I'm happy. I'm here for it. Brilliant. Brilliant. So International Women's Day, it's a global day that not only celebrates the achievements of women, but also marks a call to action for accelerating gender parity. This year's theme is Embrace Equity and International Women's Day calls for collective activism to drive change. From grassroots action to wide scale momentum, we can all embrace equity. But before we go into that in a little bit more detail, I've got to ask some really basic questions, obviously. Of course. (laughs) So first, what is pelvic health? Where is our pelvis? What's a pelvic floor? How do I
0: know where it is? This is such a huge and important question, and it isn't a silly question to ask because so many people just don't know because when were we sat down? Like when? When was it we were sat down and told about our pelvis well never exactly
1: when were we ever told about our pelvic floor so i I thought about this actually and probably the same as many women Mm -hmm. the first and only time i ever thought about my pelvic floor was when i was pregnant yeah and somebody somewhere or i read it said oh you need to do your pelvic floor exercises you squeeze you need to do that squeezing of course and i did it a few times and thought i don't even know what this is really and then it in. I love that you packed it in. Yes. My god. The thing is though, it's so true for so many women
0: that is their first invitation or first education on any level about their pelvis or their pelvic floor my situation was a bit different because I come from a movement, I come from a dance background where we were told, you know, so you need to to pull, pull that internal zip up and things like that. So there was already a kind of felt sense and, and awareness of that. But your pelvis is made up of the pelvis at the base of your, or sorry, the sacrum at the base of your spine, and your tailbone, so your pelvis includes spine, and then these two kind of dish-like curving bones that come round and meet at the front, and they kind of hold the sacrum at the back, and they come forward, and it's like what you call your pubic bone at the front, right? but your pubic bone isn't a bone, it's where two boi- bones meet one another at a little joint called the pubic symphysis, just for reference, but it is not one bone
1: And it's not a floor. And it's definitely not a floor. So when I imagined doing the squeezing... Yeah. I imagined I was pushing so much that there was this floor... That, that, that went up. I didn't know what for or what. It's it was. so interesting too, because
0: so many people. So just to to pick up on that word you mm. use, pushing. A lot of people now were discovering from various different large and small research, um, sort of studies that are being done that people think they're squeezing
1: up, yeah. that they're actually pushing down. Oh, interesting. Because how do we know? Well, <laughs> I can tell you what I was told. It was about if you want to stop a wee mid flow it was that yeah well that would that would and en-
0: incorporate those muscles but there's muscles around the back part of your pelvic floor as well so you might think about breaking wind and not breaking wind and that might help you find but those are the sphincters and it's so much more than just the sphincters it's much much broader than that so your pelvic floor is actually a diaphragm it's a a series of interwoven muscles that are intertwined around each of those passages sphincters holes whatever you want to call them them and they are partly responsible for the motion of those passages but a lot more than that they're postural, they're functional, they act like a diaphragm, like our breathing diaphragm and they work with our breathing diaphragm. It's not hard and flat and it's not you know, we think of a floor, it's hard, it's flat, it's horizontal. Yeah, definitely. Your pelvic floor is not horizontal. It's all kind of curved and wavy. It's higher at the back than it is at the front. Oh, wow, okay. Most of us, because we sit down, I mm. mean, how many times have we talked about being chair-shaped, yeah, Sophie? Yeah, yeah. And so many people are in that tuck-key, tucked under bottom, yeah, yeah. which then we think we are making it a floor. You are making the pubic bone level with your tailbone when in reality it's not, and your pelvic diaphragm comes through the back of your sacrum at the end of your spine, so it's more like a roof or a back than it is a floor. And then the minute you change what you think of it as, your experience of it becomes different. Oh,
1: that's really helpful. I'm really looking forward to finding out a little bit more, but before we do, yeah, I want to pick up on that concept of embracing Mm. equity for International Women's Day how would you say that pelvic health relates to that theme of embracing equity
0: well it's 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 quite big and I think that the the definition of of what our International Women's Day theme is this year it was more about the sort of grassroots bit that come up came up for me first and I really realized that This past kind of year or 18 months, I found that we have to make the change right down at a grassroots level Mm -hmm. that trying to go out there and get the powers that be to change the nice guidelines, to get GPs to recommend this way of approaching pelvic health from a whole body standpoint, that's a long-term task. It's a big one and it's a long-term one. What impact that I can make and we as women can make are, it's like right here, right at the beginning, the grassroots with direct education to you, me teaching you, me teaching the women that I work with, me encouraging conversations Mm -hmm. with other women with each other. So sharing their experiences because do you know what I realise is we're awesome. And we are a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, Well, we are. This yeah. is the thing. And actually, if we can get over the, the stigma or whatever it is that stops us talking about it, mm-hmm. if we can get over that, we're a massive help and resource for each other in community together and it doesn't have to be you know hippy dippy out there kind of commune type community it's literally just women talking about the yeah. stuff they're going through yeah whether it's menopause or whatever and by doing that there's this greater sense of empowerment and just having more agency over our own body and then we can For me, train the next generation of teachers. So I'm teaching all of the people that I get the chance to work with, whether it's in person or online, but I'm also working with teachers all over the world so that they are informed and they have the tools to train their community where they are and open up the conversations in the world that they're in. And it's still, you know, it's just not it's just not talked about enough. It just isn't. And it's, it does feel like it, it's a mission for me to bring the conversation forwards mm-hmm. in as many of those ways that I can, like writing my book. And one other big thing that I'm doing is cr- just creating a place. So I'm having a cafe, a pelvic health cafe. And it's, You might not even wanna talk about your pelvic health, but just to come and be with other women and maybe you have some insights to share with somebody about maybe it's menopause or maybe it's breastfeeding or maybe Mm -hmm. it's weaning or anything across the span of what women are dealing with that we're not fully supported with or feeling fully supported with or not having the conversations. It's like a safe place to do that. So when it comes to equity, think it's a bit tricky and we could like oh I really think this could be an awkward one because I wonder where does where does the equity actually start like where does it start mm. and I actually wonder if maybe it starts with us and One of my absolute favourite podcasts is with a woman called Laurie Harder. I can really recommend her podcast. And she used to, in the early days of her podcast, she had her little introduction and it always said something like, you know, should we wait around for somebody else to see us or should we anoint ourselves? Mm -hmm. Should we take charge? And that has just stuck with me for years because I think that we have to just take a little bit of the lead ourselves, find a way to have that agency. And that might be one conversation. It might be a conversation with your daughter or a conversation with your mother or a conversation with a friend where you just begin there you just start to take it on and start to build up your own confidence and knowledge and um, ability to talk about it
1: yeah that's that's great sort of answering your question <laughs> no you totally <laughs> answered the question so I'm really interested to know you're obviously very passionate about pelvic health and I mentioned how little I felt like I knew mm. about it or or not that I knew a little about it, but it just hasn't really been on my radar, perhaps yeah. until being pregnant, or you obviously mentioned it, but when did your interest in pelvic health begin? Oh gosh, I mean, for me, it
0: really happened after I had my first son, so we're talking 18 years ago, which yeah. is like a scary reality, but I honestly, I think probably I took it kind of for granted. Yep. Yeah. I didn't have any great knowledge of my pelvis, in the in in the way that it is there to to serve me to connect so much else in my body, to understand what it was capable of. Mm-hmm. I can't remember being just totally mind blown by what it had been capable of, but I also really was so naive. I didn't know it at all I'd never taken the time to know it before I gave birth so then I gave birth and had no frame of reference really Mm -hmm. because I hadn't investigated it before I didn't know what my pelvic floor to be blunt I didn't know what my pelvic floor was like before to know for sure if it was different afterwards my instinct was definitely that it felt a bit different that things weren't the same weren't right somehow
1: Mm. had you done anything in your pregnancy to support your pelvic floor no because i hadn't thought about my pelvic floor other than doing i mean we did
0: always it within pilates it's so like it makes me cringe now as i am about to say the words but we used to do squeezing and pulling up as part of
1: oh yeah well i've been to classes not here but years ago Yeah, years ago that was the start of the class You know, ladies, imagine you're in a pair of tight jeans and you're doing up the zip. all of that. And then keep that going. Yeah. Yeah. But really, honestly,
0: I was doing what I knew, which was Pilates. Mm. So I did Pilates. Part of that was pulling up. And I thought I was so strong. Yeah. And I was so strong. Mm. But there was no flexibility Mm. in my pelvic floor. So when it came to giving birth, there wasn't the flexibility that was needed when it came to that process of birthing, which then led to the birth injury and then the resulting prolapse that I became more and more aware of down the line. But... If I had known, what, obviously what I know now, Mm. I would have done that so differently. And my subsequent pregnancies I did totally differently and had completely different outcomes. So did you have natural birth with the first? Well, it depends on what your definition of natural birth is. Okay. Right, (laughs) so I had interventions. Okay. So that then changes. So the minute you have one intervention there is a much higher likelihood of you having another. Okay, Okay. yeah. So I was in labor, things then slowed down and didn't go forward, so then we started down some level of induction, which then leads to this thing and this thing and this yeah, thing. So yeah. I ended up in my first birth having a severe tear and an episiotomy <laughs> to get my beautiful boy out. And that was in my mind then normal because that was my experience. Oh, yeah. And still today, I work with many women who say to me, Oh, yeah, I had a normal delivery because we think if
1: the baby comes out, the vagina, it's normal. Oh, yeah. No well, matter and that's what... why I say, Oh, did you have a natural? Because to me, it's either vagina or c section. yeah And when you have a vaginal birth, it is what it is. And because. I went to all the, you know, the prenatal oh, yeah. classes, and they go through all the things that you know possibly could happen, and this, yeah. this and this and it might be this, and it might be that, and you might need a vamptues, and you might need an episiotomy, and you might, mm. and so if those things happen, those are presented as well. It's just normal. normal yes, birth. exactly.
0: And there's also ways of preparing our body for anything that we want to do. And our bodies are designed to give birth. The problems occur when we haven't been living a lifestyle our body was designed for in advance of becoming pregnant, let alone having a baby. And the amount of sitting we do with that tucky bottom, Mm -hmm. it's closing the exit. And if you're permanently closing the exit, it's a long way to go to find a kind of neutral zone before you can then even lengthen out to oh, let the baby out yeah so it's huge absolutely huge topic so you know so i guess when i had my first was when it, it initially began and then there's two kind of moments that stand out for me where i really got bigger insight i suppose and one was I mean, he was really small and I went on a training course in London and it was about imagery and movement and the sort of neuroscience behind when you think and imagine something like a bit like athletic training. And they do that, like imagine you're going through the finish line and then um, it's as if they have. Yeah. So it's the same thing for movement. And we did this exercise. It was about the pelvis and about diaphragm. And we did this exercise to really feel and and check whether we were breathing with our breathing diaphragm and our pelvic floor, our pelvic diaphragm, in like a synchronized way, the way Mm -hmm. they're meant to. And for me now, it's just like the common practice of what I teach on a daily basis. And I realized that they were topsy-turvy. So my diaphragm of breathing was doing one thing and my pelvic diaphragm, a little bit was moving one way and a little bit was moving another okay. and a little bit was just not moving right. <laughs> at all. And so they were in, totally out of sync. And it was then when I thought, you know what, There's there's more to this to investigate. And I just immediately went down that kind of rabbit hole. And then a few years later, I was in London again on an advanced anatomy course with my amazing teacher and mentor, Gary Carter. And I remember when he was looking at the pelvis with us and he was demonstrating to us how the legs connected to the sacrum and. Sp- specifically yeah and how the feet related up to the pelvis and it was like and he even says this now that he can't I'll never forget seeing the light bulb go on for me in that moment and that was where everything really came together and I knew the whole body approach was essential to come back to pelvic health that you can't really when you see how everything is so closely connected you cannot just work these muscles in an isolated way so those were my like two turning well three turning points really. and had you had any other symptoms so i knew i mean like deep down i knew that there was something not right and I could feel sometimes, you know, around maybe a few days or the week before my period, I would feel like there was just like a funny pressure or a, a little movement in my pelvic floor that wasn't really there the rest of the time and I could sort of track it that it was cycle related and then it was mostly fine the rest of the time. I didn't often get caught short as they say or things like that it was more that sensation that I kind of knew there was a prolapse there but it was a long time before I felt kind of brave enough mm. um, because it It was upsetting to me Mm. to think that this could be happening because I felt like I was letting myself down. I felt guilty. I felt like, well, I'm a Pilates teacher and how could this possibly happen to me? Um, And so I felt a lot of shame around that possibly being the case. And so when I did feel brave and I knew that to really be honest out there in the world with the work that I wanted to do, I needed to get over that Mm -hmm. so I could really help more people. So I went and had a physiotherapy assessment and obviously that did confirm my fear that I did have a mild prolapse. They were very reassuring. I know that the prolapse wasn't massive, but I still knew that I, I, I needed to acknowledge it. And actually, for me it was naming it acknowledging it accepting this happening was what then helped me to actually improve it like almost instantly it felt better because I'd let go of the shame and the guilt about it so I could heal it just with the mindful awareness that it wasn't my fault it isn't shameful I haven't done the exercises wrong there's nothing wrong Mm with me um so that was that was a really big thing for me. Did you see a
1: specialist physiotherapist or was it a, just a generalist?
0: No, so for an internal assessment of your pelvic floor, it's really important you see an experienced women's health physiotherapist who deals primarily with pelvic health because women's health physios deal with all of women's health, mm. but a pelvic health specialist. So I worked with Anna Kroll, who is just fantastic. And uh, it, I would recommend seeing someone who is a specialist in that area. And did area. you
1: seek medical help as well? Or no. did you just go down that route? What's, no, no. What stopped you? Because, uh, I, as we were just explaining,
0: I would prefer to see a specialist in the area where my problem is. Mm-hmm. Rather than someone who's a generalist, because their their experience isn't going to necessarily direct me in the right route. I also knew enough at that point. Mm-hmm. I knew, and I was looking for confirmation and acceptance, really. And how long was that after giving birth? Would you say? Oh gosh, I mean, I'd had three. Oh, it was a okay. long so time. It wasn't
1: like oh, it's oh, a few no. weeks after. Okay, tell me a bit more about that then. Well, I mean, it really
0: took me a long time to to come to accept and come to terms with that so the injury with my first for sure was the direct cause of the prolapse that i had oh, okay but i had two other children beautiful you know i took the time after having my first so there's big gaps so after I had my first, because I needed to heal mentally, I've shared it before, I had postnatal depression as well. Mm-hmm. It's all sort of tied in. And I learned so much in that time. Uh, like I am so thrilled for that time yeah. that I had to learn. So I learned so much about anatomy and physiology. I learned loads about fascia. I learned loads about women's health, pelvic health. Yeah relaxing, hormones, menopause, all of these things to just go deep
1: and understand more. So how did you approach the second pregnancy differently?
0: Oh, I did it all. So I did hypnobirthing, I did... Because there was obviously some fear around giving birth again. So I did the hypnobirthing to help with the fear. I did internal massage, so the perineal massage leading up to giving birth. I trained my body in a completely different way because I trained it for the task at hand. Yes. So I prepped my body to reduce strain throughout the pregnancy and prepped it for the process of birthing. Right. So all of that with the understanding that the pelvic floor is designed to lengthen at minimum three times its resting length to squat, let alone give birth. So it unfurls, it it expands out like a concertina or a fan opening to allow us to deliver our babies. But I hadn't trained my body for that before. So I had to further... What what was your word? Natural, natural births. I had two further natural births where there there was n- no interventions. They were each one got bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you don't know that, ladies, they do get bigger as the more you have. Um and so I you know I had two beautiful like after each of them I said oh, I want to do it again because it was so empowering I was empowered because I had given myself that agency over my own body by training it knowing it learning it experiencing Mm -hmm. it before going into that in a way that I hadn't when I was young and it was new and I didn't
1: I didn't know and what about afterwards what was different about your recovery from birth this time? But pregnancy and birth. Yeah, so the great thing is I always say, you know, each
0: each baby taught me new lessons. Each pregnancy and birth taught me more lessons yeah. about life and about my body and about what we're capable of. And you know, after my second, uh, <laughs> this the the day, so I got home, went to bed, got up, and I walked to school to take the other one who just started reception to school because my husband unfortunately had a terrible sickness bug and there was no choice and so I just but the difference was that 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 was not not a big deal no big deal at all we just rocked up the road and that was it and it was it was a beautiful moment where um my eldest could be part of yes the the transition and and it was yeah it was that was amazing and then the the second the third one I should say similarly we were just ready and active and my body was ready afterwards too so I had the skills I had the tools I had the knowledge yeah um
1: it was very different. I think it's that thing, isn't it? When we know better, we do better. Of course, but we work with what we know at, at the, time. the time. And yeah. for many women, me included, you've no idea what's coming with that first one. You Not might enough. think you have. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I will tell you, really, honestly, and truly, I thought I've got this. Yeah. I thought I'm a dancer. Mm-hmm. I'm a Pilates teacher. I've got this. No problem. Easy peasy. And it was a humbling, humbling Mm -hmm. lesson and I am so grateful for that, so grateful for the experience of that because it allowed me to have so much more respect for my body, Yeah. so much more respect and so grateful to my amazing boy for coming into the world and teaching me that lesson and allowing this to
1: happen but I, what I think is quite impressive about that story is that you have reflected you have looked you know looked back on that you had a, a bit of a gap and you were able to think okay what just happened yeah how can I make it different next time that's absolutely in my character
0: you know mm. reflecting and evaluating you know even when I did my teaching degree that was my favorite bit all oh, right. right, mm. how can we make it better? Yeah. Like, why yeah. wouldn't you? It's
1: really in my nature to do that. Would you say in your experience of working with women, there's a point at which they start experiencing pelvic health, like help, words up, pelvic health issues? Oh, yeah. And as a woman, you mentioned how you knew something wasn't quite right. Mm. Is there a way that women commonly know something isn't right? I'm thinking if someone's listening now and yeah. they've got a bit of an inkling... What if you be are you looking for? Th- that inkling okay. is what to
0: look for. Really and truly, most of us have an intuition, a sense, and because we don't have these conversations like we're having now, we just shut that sense off. Because we're not, we're not in conversation about it. We're not talking about it. We're not sharing it. If we had that sense and everybody was just talking about it, then we would share Mm. that. We would know that what we're sensing is normal and something can be done. What happens is we don't think it's normal because nobody else is talking about it. Then we don't do anything Mm. about it. Then it's exacerbated over time and doing other things that might not help it and not taking the necessary steps early on to handle it. So that's really comes back to, you know, why we're talking about this on International Women's Day, the, the bringing communities together, teaching women to have agency and conversations about their pelvic health. And the things that you would look out for. So oftentimes, when women reach menopause, as there's hormonal changes, we start to become more conscious of our pelvis again. We've maybe been so busy between children and menopause that we then go, oh yeah, pelvis, pelvic floor. Mm, Uh, should I be doing those exercises again? And then we start to have some awareness. And sometimes what people notice is a heaviness or a dragging sensation. It might be in the lower abdomen just above the pubic bone, or it might be around the back passage, or it might be right into the vagina that they feel that. They might also notice that it's painful when they're having sex with their partner, and that's definitely a symptom where there's restriction there's perhaps a nerve condition there so there's a nerve called the pedendal nerve that can often be compressed along with the sciatic nerve from tight muscles in your like in your bum basically in the layers and amongst mm. there so That Those are some of the symptoms. The obvious things are noticing maybe that you're leaking a little bit or you get to the front door and you're like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden I need a wee and you're like dancing to get in the house. You might find that you're coughing and having a little leak. Things like that are perhaps the symptoms. Other things that people definitely are talking even less about is bowel stuff. So you might find that you can't fully empty your bowels. So you go to the toilet and you're like, oh, I still feel like something's there. And that can be a sign that something's not quite right. Some people have to manually remove the rest when they go. <laughs> and Sophie's eyes just about popped out her because head there. This is
1: news to me.
0: <laughs> this is what I talk about on a daily basis. Sometimes people describe feeling like they've got a tampon like half in half out and that's what people are dealing with Sophie's like freaking out now but it's important we have to be brave and have
1: these conversations so women know what to look for my question is then if we were having if there was anything else wrong in our bodies like that You'd go to the doctor or you'd go to a mm-hmm. GP or you're... Why are women ignoring these symptoms, do you think? If I... I, I feel like... Oh, if I felt like that, I would go to the doctor. But maybe I wouldn't. I don't... I don't know. Why do you think we're ignoring Loads it? Loads of different and, reasons. And what is making us think that that is normal? And because I'll I'll say as well, I think I've had several friends that I know struggle with wee, like the wee a little bit. Mm-hmm luck of the drawing and I think it's that oh is it luck of the drawing pregnancy or childbirth you might have it you might not just got to get on with it you've had a child but this is a big part of it that there
0: is there's a stigma there is so many women that have actually gone to the GP so I have had many women who have have said to me that they've been and they've been to all manner of people not just the GP and because that's their not their specific specialism they are limited in the time and the advice and the knowledge and the resources that they have to advise and often case it's well it's your age you've had multiple children This is to be expected. Yeah. Um, referral to a physiotherapist who just gives the strengthening exercises, which then exacerbates the problem. That we're in a cycle and it's just so many people, women are just defeated.
1: Mm. Just defeated. Because I know that one like for me, once you've been to the doctor, if you've been dismissed or you have a referral oh. and you go and it's not quite right you tell yourself don't you oh i'm making a big thing over nothing yes it's me i'm doing it wrong it's
0: my own fault it's because i had these children yeah, it's because i, because I did the it. wrong exercise it's because i did this that or yeah. the other i just have to accept and go on with it and that stoicism that 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 you know way that we just carry on and and that's perpetuating the problem mm. because we just keep carrying on if we said Hang on a minute, like you just went, hang on, all those things, and we're not doing something about it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because if we then said, no, this isn't good enough. I expect more. And this is definitely how how I feel. I'm mm. like, no, no, no. We can do better than this. Mm. Yes, ladies, you're going to have to put time, work, and commitment into restoring your pelvic floor. But you can. Mm. I've had clients, numerous clients who've come and they've been under a consultant and they've said, okay, we need to look at this prolapse and, and get some surgery booked. And they've gone, oh, not really sure. That's like being the panic. Okay, I'm yeah. not, I don't want to go down and that I don't want surgery. Don't want surgery. So they've come to me, immediately they've gone, oh, that makes so much sense. Mm. When I explain the whole body and the relationships and they've gone i'm not i'm in i'm on board Mm. and they start doing the program and one lady who went to her consultant after doing the work with me and she and he literally looked at her pelvic floor and said oh well my surgery couldn't have done better than that wow then she's carried on carried on she'd gone to have a check general check and uh, the person doing the check went wow your pelvic floor is amazing like literally was like wow and that is a massive win because that woman is now she has taken charge Mm -hmm. she's owning her pelvic health and she's empowered like she's a beautiful sassy empowered woman because she's taken that
1: on board and we can all do that but I, th- yes, we can, but I also think the issue is around that quick fix. Oh, yes. And and it's not, oh. I don't mean that in a flippant way or to. it's because, particularly after you've had a baby, you're busy, and like you said, you're not really thinking about yourself, so you might have this nagging thing of something isn't quite right, but I haven't got time to do Definitely. that. And it's going to take how long for me to do it your way? Mm-hmm. And actually,
0: surgical results are very poor. Most people uh, really? that have surgery have multiple surgeries because they are not the answer. Because the surgery is to do something to solve a problem that is not the problem in the first place. And this is where this approach, whilst, yes, it takes your effort, yeah. it has longevity. Even those quick strength-based traditional exercises, they are not never they are they have never been tested long term really? they give a short window of less than 10 percent improvement i'm sorry but i want a blooming sight more than 10
1: percent improvement but, but there's, there's apps and whatnot you can yeah. download and it's just and it's come all back based to me. on that same research with my first son i had an app on my phone oh, it used God. to alert what me <laughs> <laughs> it's time to squeeze uh, i used to turn it yeah. it's annoying
0: good I'm always really happy when people say to me oh well I downloaded that app but I keep forgetting
1: yes that's a win so now <laughs> just backtrack to that so not only is it probably not helping it's not doing any good either is that correct so because okay let's backtrack even further
0: the assumption is made that the pelvic floor muscles are weak The test is then done if someone goes to be assessed for their pelvic floor. The test is then done to check how weak, not to scope out if it could be something else, how weak, measure it subjectively while they're lying on their back, which is not how their pelvic floor functions anyway. Right. That's a big topic. So then they go, okay, it's this week, This means you do this many of those squeezing exercises this number of times a day, that's what you need to do. The problem is not that the muscles are weak, they're out of balance and they're not in coordination. If we go back to my story about when I went to London and learned about the neuromuscular connection and the imagery and how important that is, The diaphragm of breathing and the diaphragm of your pelvic floor. Talk to one another. If there's been an injury, any kind of trauma, any kind of postural imbalance from sitting on it, it will not receive the messages from your diaphragm above or from your brain, so from the headquarters above. It's not then coordinating to the activity that you want it to do. So if you jump up and down, don't do it just now, but if you jumped up and down, you want to know that the messages get there quickly from your brain to there. It's a little bit more, so my anatomy folks out there listening, I know it's more complex than that, but I'm making this for the regular person listening you have got to get the responsiveness there, the coordination for it to go, oh, yes, jumping means we go in and up. Oh, right, we're squatting, we go out and down. But that is more than strength that those muscles require to do that. If you've got, if you've had an episiotomy, which is where there's a cut or a tear, there's scar tissue, there's bulk kind of like if you think about you know when you get knots in your shoulders you've got that up there in your pelvic floor you've got tightness and knots in there which means though that area of the tissue can't move Ah. when you are doing things that it needs to move so then you go all right let's go in and tighten up that already tight tissue
1: Ah, okay, makes no sense no it doesn't you're just making it worse oh i get it i get it now
0: And it is the assumption that it's weak. Let's look for how weak and then let's just prescribe the same thing. If we go in and go, okay, it's tight in this front quadrant and it's tight in this back quadrant and it's slack across the other two, then we need to lengthen out the bits that are too tight and restricted and then bring that brings balance back. And that's just talking about the pelvic floor. We've not even touched on the surrounding muscles that influence the fact that your hamstrings, which is another one actually that women could be noticing that their hamstrings feel really tight or their hip flexors feel really tight. People come in and say this to me all the time. I feel this hip's really tight at the front and this hamstring's really tight at the back. Oh, really? Really? That is exactly what I described about the quadrant, you know, the Ah. opposite, that you've got this imbalance happening through your pelvis, which means your pelvic floor cannot coordinate Ah. the way it needs to. So if we could actually just bring mobility and balance back through the pelvis, Mm -hmm. it will naturally
1: bring itself back to its coordination and its responsiveness. So I know you're really brilliant at doing a visual body scan of the women that you <laughs> teach. You're a bit like an airport, it's like a bit like going through an airport scanner, isn't it, coming to your class. <laughs> it if really someone's trying concealing something, you're gonna see it. Oh yeah, but they're not concealing it <laughs> to you. They might think they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> What might you notice in a woman who's had pelvic or who, or who has pelvic health issues, Perhaps from a traumatic birth, or it might yeah. have an injury, or it might just be they've been sat down. Or what would you see?
0: Yeah, God, it's so funny that you would say that. Because just the other
1: day, somebody said to me,
0: "Oh, you're like the pelvic floor whisperer," <laughs> and it's true. It's like I can see so much because, like we were just saying, you know, that the there's lots of influences on the pelvis, and there's actually a lot of joints in the pelvis. Uh, The influence the pelvic floor so I can look at somebody's sit bones for example maybe they're they're doing a squat and I can see that one sit bone at the base of their pelvis just doesn't move very much and that can be an indication that they had an episiotomy on that side where so there's bulky scar tissue Mm -hmm. that kind of congestion that doesn't lengthen out when Ah. they go into the squat so I can see something like that Maybe in something like bridging, you know, if you lie on your back and you lift your bottom up and down. Sometimes what happens is somebody's bottom on one side lands a little bit before the other. Or again, their sit bone doesn't relax at all. So they're
1: kind of clenched in on one side. That's you. Me. (laughs) I'm there thinking bridging don't like bridging don't like can't relax well there you go so you need to It's because
0: so this is a perfect example if you don't mind me using you so you may use me you sit for work so you get into that tucky bottom forward head they go together so that means that the posterior pelvic floor is in that short tight Position, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't know how to lengthen out. Yeah. And in that case, what happens is it puts a lot of extra load, for want of a better mm-hmm. word, word, through the front pelvic floor because it's getting pushed open at yeah. the front from the squeeze in at the back. So we need to let the back lengthen out so that the front
1: can take a load off. Oh, okay. and balance the use, if you like, through the hole. But that's going to be a little bit more challenging for someone like me, is that... Well... Doing your bridging, which you don't like, is what
0: you need to do. Usually it's the case, though, when people say, oh, you know, I don't like that exercise. That's because that's the one you need to do. Yeah. To let your tailbone lengthen out. And then other movements like lunging. You can really see when people are lunging where the pelvis goes wonky. So if you feel that when you do a lunge and it feels really different one side to the other, one hip hitches up, it's because the pelvic floor can't lengthen out with the hamstrings and the glutes and the adductors and other things. Oh, you definitely are the the
1: pelvic floor whisperer. So if a woman's listening to this and thinking, "Mm, I definitely can't bounce on a trampoline, but other than that, you know, I think I'm okay. What would you advise they do? Is there danger in just doing nothing, saying, well, that's okay because I just won't go on a trampoline. But other than that, I think I'm all right. Might it get worse over time?
0: Yeah, do you know, it's so sad to me. The idea, like, I'm writing a lot in my book at the moment about how many women, and I remember being in a situation with a mum friend a long time ago where she was just permanently on the sidelines. Mm. Or, like, multiple kids all out jumping on the trampoline and having a great time, and she couldn't join in join in with any of the activities that were fun she was just stuck on the sidelines all the time and I think that that's a tragedy that we need to mm. avoid mums don't need to be no woman needs to be on the sidelines of their own life that's just just a deeply sad idea mm. so I would encourage every woman to actually get off the sidelines and and do something, even if they think right now there isn't a problem. Mm-hmm. That's great. Let's keep it that, that way. Let's keep it that way by doing something now to keep you healthy for the future. And those women who are on the sidelines, who are thinking, oh, I can't possibly go on that trampoline. Yep. In that case... It could get worse over time if you don't do something now and there is things that you can do and it's so simple that you'll kick yourself when you realise how simple it is because you can do it and feel a difference right away. So give me an example of one thing I could do. So one thing you can do is really let go. So what happens when we feel like like there's a psychological thing and I remember feeling it and I think it's part of why my prolapse started to feel better instantly because I just went I'm not afraid anymore Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and when you because if you're in that permanent state of clenching and fear your pelvic floor can't lengthen yeah which it really really needs to do so then that would be one thing is just let it go. And then breathing is so important. So right back to what I was saying about my breathing when I realized that is just taking the time to focus on breathing so that when you're breathing in, you can just visualize that your diaphragm and your pelvic floor go down and lengthen out. And as you're breathing out, they go up and lengthen in. So in down and lengthening, out up and lengthening. And
1: just taking the time to time do that. To do was. It. Okay, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, So this isn't. I've got another fairly similar example of a woman who's had a couple of children, births that fairly straightforward, no real intervention. She's felt fine. She's not having any real symptoms. She's aware of. Don't think there's anything wrong with her pelvic health. Mm. A Few years later, she takes up running. Mm. This is years after her children are born. She suddenly realises, oh dear, (laughs) I can't run without wearing a pad because she's leaking the whole time she's running. Yep. There's women listening going, oh, that's me. (laughs) Nobody knows because why would they? It's not bad enough for anyone to see, but she might have to change that pad a few times while she's running. But she's just kind of accepted that it's probably inevitable after having children. Mm. This is me. I can manage it, it's only when I run. So she just carries on. What should she do? Is there a consequence for her of doing nothing? Is it likely to get worse? Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it?
0: Because, you know, when it comes to pads, like even the adverts for the pads are glamorised and, you know, we were talking about the surgeries and even surgeries are being glamorized because there are celebrities out there talking about their designer vaginas. And it's like, no, we need to actually look at this. Like, are we really accepting that we have to go and get designer vaginas and go and get pants that are pads in built and all of those things? No, let's ask for more. And so for the woman who realizes when she goes running, it can be the consequence of the births or birth that she had many years before that her body, it's it's almost like it's dormant, you know? So it's there, but our body's been surviving and the running is just pushed it over the edge. So it then makes our body, not makes isn't the right word, but our body then just can't cope with the load and strain Mm, of that. mm And she literally just needs to do the breathing that we just talked about because it's likely to be paradoxical because when she's landing, the opposite response is happening because things are coming out. But it's also likely that there's other muscles around the pelvis that are also overworking, pulling the pelvic floor open, which is really, really common. So Lots of people like some of our listeners will all already have been told at some point, oh, they've got a tight piriformis or tight hip flexors and these things and they actually there's muscles deep inside your hip that can be, be holding. If you imagine like curtains with tie backs. you're trying to close the curtains to stop yourself weeing when you run, but the tie backs are still on. so we need to slacken off the tie backs so that we can get
1: that response when we run. So yeah. And what about women that haven't had children? Would they typically experience fewer or even no pelvic health issues? Do they need to think about pelvic every health Every woman all? has a pelvic floor, therefore every woman needs to
0: consider okay. and work on their pelvic health. Because it's the central point in our body... The, the centre of gravity is in our pelvis. Everything we do from our feet up goes through our pelvis, it's communicated through our pelvis. Everything from above down is through our pelvis. It's strong, it's powerful, it, it's so important that we know it. There are many things that can happen to a woman who hasn't had children mm. that can affect their pelvic floor so they they might fall for example so uh they might fall and break their coccyx very very painful and your pelvic floor is attached there so for sure you're going to have a problem if you've broken your coccyx some people will have had surgery to have a hip replacement somebody might have fractured their thigh bone yeah that thigh bone goes into your pelvis So it is influencing on your pelvic floor. You might have an impact to your head. So something might fall on your head or you might hit your head. Your head is on top of your spine and your spine, remember your sacrum and tail is part of your pelvis and your pelvic floor weaves in through the back of your tailbone and your sacrum. Which is at the other end, so that trauma is sent down, and so it could change the the brain to body, the neural pathway, Mm -hmm. the brain to body connections, and that might just shut it down. Wow, that's amazing! You never put that together. No, you wouldn't. No. Even somebody who um, you know, does that what do you call it? Grinding their teeth, jaw clenching, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing, because it's at the top, but they're connected. So there are so many, many things that can affect... I know you're like, oh, there's another thing
1: that's me. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my next question was going to be around pelvic health, being something I haven't really thought about. I've probably missed it. What lower-level symptoms might have, might have experienced, but I've just identified the teeth grinding, the coccyx, the Yeah, I don't oh think God. anyone sort of gets away with it, do they? If you're a woman... There's probably something somewhere in
0: your life, yeah, I posted a question online a couple of weeks ago, asking, when do you think that we should be educating on pelvic health, and the fact that we are having to have this conversation now where your your feeling is that you know nobody really gets away with it, if we owned it, if we were empowered as young women we would it wouldn't be like that, yeah. It wouldn't be this inevitable, oh, we can't get away with it. No, actually, if you own it, if you know how it works, if you know where it is, if you know that it's multiple bones and not one big solid lump, if you understood the dynamic nature of it, you'd live in it from a young age very differently to how we live in it because we're told it's a floor and it's not a floor. So... Anyway, (laughs) I I mean, I could go on. I knew you were going to say that. To answer your question, though, really, uh, it's it's the the things that people ignore, definitely grinding teeth, jaw clenching, aching feet even. So if you get like... um, chronic plantar fasciitis yeah. that could be a thing lower back and tight hamstrings we talked a little bit about how your hamstrings at the back of yeah. your leg connect yeah. into your pelvis also your inner thigh muscles they connect in as well and so some people would get like a little groin stingy pain right. that would be a sort of low-lying things that these sort of undercurrents of things that don't feel bad enough and it might be like your sacrum at the back of your pelvis Um, Yeah, it's just, like, low-lying niggles that might
1: not be in your pelvis. Yeah. It might be further away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I need to think about that one and let that one uh, digest. So, Pilates is obviously amazing to help heal pelvic health, any pelvic health issues. But what would I need to commit to in terms of time and frequency to see a difference? mm And I'll add to that, and is Pilates alone enough to heal pelvic health issues? Is there anything else that a woman should be doing to complement a Pilates practice?
0: The thing is, your pelvis is, like we're just saying, pelvis is for life and it needs your attention for life and it's difficult to put any kind of measure on you know how much and how often because the degree of what we're managing with each individual person's pelvic floor health is going to be different so it isn't possible to say if you do this thing this many times a week because it's going to be for the individual and it's going to be something that's realistic to their lifestyle. I think That's one of the things that's really important is that you can integrate a Pilates practice or elements of the pelvic health practice into your life. So it's small bite size that you do and you don't always feel like you have to come and do a studio class three times Mm -hmm. a week. You might do that once or twice a week and something at home at the other times to, to, to uh, to make that up. And it's also important to say that not all Pilates is the same. You know, like I was saying at the beginning, part of my realisation past year, year and a half, is that I have to educate the people I have access to. And part of that is that the many, many teachers that I teach around the world, so that they're informed. Because like we were saying today too, that we both had that experience. I used to teach that way and do it that Mm -hmm. way, the pulling, pulling up. Some teachers are still teaching that way and they don't have this information accessible to them. So they still teach that way. So it's important to acknowledge that the teacher does need to
1: be pelvic health informed to be able to have the impact that, that you're looking for. And is there anything else I should be doing to complement that Pilates practice? Walking is really, really important.
0: It's important for our bone health and all women need to work on work on that. We need the mental health, getting out there in the fresh air, which is so good. Do it with a friend and then it's sociable as well. Yeah. But it gives you a chance to put your pelvic health into practice because squatting and walking are two kind of key functional movements of life. So it's so important that we do we do those.
1: And is there a point where I'm healed? And I can reel it in a bit. <laughs> because, you know, modern day today, everyone's busy. We want quick fixes, don't of we? we do. So, you were talking about perhaps coming to the studio once or twice a week, doing some practice at home. What about when I'm getting better <laughs> and I haven't got those symptoms as much anymore? Can I do less? No, I, what I would say is that you need to challenge it more to
0: maintain it. So, you know, Uh, For me, whether it's pelvic health or just Pilates in general or life in general, Mm. I feel it's a real priority and we owe it to ourselves to progress, to go somewhere, to keep striving rather than just settling. And it has to be maintained. You cannot just go,
1: woohoo, I'm there, and then stop
0: doing it because then your symptoms will come back. Okay. You haven't, it's never going to go like, all the way reversed, but it is something that has to be maintained. It's yeah, like, you know, I always say, it's like brushing your teeth. You're not going to suddenly stop brushing your teeth because that
1: one day you got all the plaque away. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. That's a really good analogy. So finally, how can we future-proof? What, if anything, should we be encouraging our daughters to do? Is there a good age, do you think, to start mm. thinking and talking about mental health, uh, pelvic health even? Yeah, well, for me... I. <laughs>
0: starting young, being really open in the conversations that we are having with with everyone in our worlds. My boys know all about pelvic health. They could recite all sorts to you and you know the 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 commercials come on for the pads and they're rolling their eyes turn it off because mum will see you know they 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 know they understand all of these things so I think having those conversations really really early on and you know the things that I'm doing is having the pelvic health cafe Mm. so that people can have those
1: conversations you've shared so much today Claire And now, can you share your final three pearls of wisdom? What three things should a woman do today to improve her pelvic health? Oh, wow. I mean, I think the first thing really has to be
0: about changing our mindset, our belief about pelvic floor, because it really isn't a floor. We need to think it's a diaphragm. And that change of mindset will mean we will live into it in a completely different way. And then the next would be about awareness. So you literally cannot heal what you do not feel. So we need to just start being a bit more aware, start listening, start connecting with our pelvic floor, investigating a little bit. And then breath, uh, breathing. I feel like always comes up as a, a you know one of my pearls of wisdom because it's so important. But breathing here, so if you exhale completely and fully every last atom of air, as Joseph Pilates would say, and then your inhale becomes a reflex. And this will start to expand your breath and re-stimulate the
1: relationship with your pelvic diaphragm. Thank you so much, Claire. This episode has been so empowering. And I think the work that you're doing is really important to educate people everywhere, not just women but mm. but men too. I agree. Thank you so much. And thank you
0: so much for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode where we'll be continuing with our theme of mindset and beliefs. In the meantime, let us know what you think of this episode. Like, share, do all the things you know you need to do to help other people find us. And we'd really love to hear from you. What would you like us to talk about in future episodes? Thank you for listening and happy International
1: Women's Day.